Um, hello, how are we? Uh, good morning, good evening to wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Right on Track podcast. Yes, indeed. Hello, welcome. Uh, we're here for the third episode of uh, Right on Track, and we're here to have a good time to, with you. To you? With you. Speaking about uh, all things matter, Thomas the Tank Engine and the Railway Series. Um, and we're not alone. We have Connor Jonas. Hello! Uh, myself, Denim, and we also have Parry. Yes, I am still here. Good to see you both. Yeah, good to see you too. And uh, we're getting through Series 1. We've uh, really enjoyed uh, immersing and soaking ourselves into um, each episode as we go, but we're up to a, a really uh, interesting little trilogy that we're going to chat about today, which focuses all about uh, James Red Engine. Yes. Uh, so, last time we went over uh, Thomas and the Trucks, Thomas the Breakdown Train, Thomas's Train... And at the end of Thomas and the Breakdown Train, Thomas saved the new engine on Sodor, James, with his red, beautiful paintwork mm-hmm. uh, from a horrible accident. Thomas has just been given his branch line, and now we are going to learn a little bit more about James. Indeed we are, yes. So James, for those who aren't aware, is the red engine on the island of Sodor. He's a 2-6 mixed traffic engine. And uh, he's one of the show's most popular characters, and I think that his colour might have something to do with that, possibly. I think so. And the other thing I love about this character is that he is someone who doesn't shy away from uh, being uh, full of vanity and ego. Yes. Um, and is not always the character that you want to like. He's like the anti-hero. Very much the anti-hero. Not quite antagonist but he 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 has got a lot of character flaws that aren't really detrimental but they do get him in a lot of trouble as we're about to find out yeah he takes a lot of pride in his paintwork and in his abilities but he is a very very vain character it must be said and even um, in the song for him this is really quite vain yeah it is and we should mention as well the three episodes we're going to cover today um by the way Great music he plays. It's the best yeah. theme music of any of the engines. Oh, yes, yeah. definitely. By far the favourite theme. It's just so jazzy. Yeah, yeah, so anyhow, the three episodes we're going to cover today are James and the Coaches, Troubles and Trucks, James and the Express, which all helped to sort of define his character and have really cemented his popularity. Of course, he doesn't really learn from these mistakes, as we'll discuss in future episodes. Mm. But uh, nonetheless, these are three really solid episodes. Yeah, and for American viewers, those are James Learns a Lesson, uh, Foolish Freight Cars, and A Proud Day for James. Great stuff. Great stuff indeed. Let's jump straight into the first episode. As uh, you said, we are reviewing James and the Coaches. James was enjoying his life on the island of Sodor, but he still had a lot to learn. You're a special mixed traffic engine, said the fat controller. You can pull coaches or trucks quite easily, but you must learn by your mistakes. James knew what the fat controller meant. He could well remember that dreadful accident on his first day. Be careful with the coaches, James, said Edward. They don't like being bumped. Everyone came to admire James. 
I'm a really splendid engine, he thought, and suddenly let off steam. A shower of water fell on the fat controller's nice new top hat. There we go. So James and the Coaches uh, is a part of Series 1 and follows on from Thomas and the Breakdown Train and sees uh, James himself uh, take the mantle as uh, the central character uh, with the supporting cast of uh, Edward in the background. Um, And despite only really having two central uh, railway characters, it does feel like a lot happens in this story. Well, that's because it's an amalgamation of two of Reverend Audrey's stories. I think it's James's Day Out is the name of the original title. Uh, uh, James and the Top Hat, I believe. James and the Top Hat, sorry. And then, of course, James and the Coaches. It's interesting uh, on... An adaptation point of view when uh, the creative team, Britt Orcroft and David Midden, uh, decide to do that um, pairing of stories. Like, you know, in Edward and Gordon, uh, it's a uh, pairing of Edward's Day Out and, and Edward, Edward and Gordon. Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, this is, you know, James Bootlace and um, James and the Top Hat. Very, mm. very much James and an inanimate object mm. is the running title for this episode. Mm. But it is really interesting. Basic plot is uh, it's probably James's first coach train mm-hmm. Um, mm. due to the wonderful exposition at the start. Yes. It's some of the best narration in the series. It goes for about 10 seconds and we know everything about him. Mm. But uh, it's James's first time pulling coaches. He's got Edward showing him the ropes and he sort of spoils Sir Topham's top hat. Sir Topham's Top Hat. Yes. Say that ten times fast. Sir Topham's Top Hat. Sir Topham's, no, I can't do it. No. <laughs> it's a bit of a tongue twister. It is. And um, then later, after he's been scolded, he then also damages uh, the brake pipe on one of the coaches and leads to the infamous bootlace incident, which mm. will forever be referenced as his one big error, despite the... Many, many errors. Yeah, many errors. Yes, indeed. And I particularly love this episode because James and his crew encounter a man who is as vain and as selfish as he is. I'm not going to hand over my rubber bootlaces to keep this train going. It's so much James personified as a human, and I love that juxtaposition between the two characters Mm. uh, that James is so vain and that uh, his vanity uh, harrows through someone else who pretty much acts exactly the same way as him, and as a result, everything is delayed. Yes, it's also worth noting that the man, the little figurine they have, they later use him in Season 3, and he's a railway inspector. Yes. And, yes. and he's seen to be singing James's praises in that particular episode. So yeah. I want to see the story arc there. What happened <laughs> when he went away from Sodor and got his PhD in railway inspection. <laughs> well, no, no, m- maybe what it was, was he was already a railway inspector, and it's like, oh, you've damaged the coaches. Too bad. He's a mystery yeah. shopper. Yeah. Mystery shopper and railways. Oh, I really want now just an entire web series based on mystery shoppers on Northwestern Railway. Mm. Because so much stuff happens there. I know. I feel like there'd be some kind of blog where they'd all post their uh, problems that they have, like, oh, Gordon was stuck on the hill again today. Or... <laughs> LOL, hashtag Gordon's Hill. <laughs> Selfie. Um, <laughs> hashtag first world problems. <laughs> yes. Um, what's actually really interesting about this episode is that it's the last time Henry's tunnel is seen 
until season four, Henry and the Elephant. Really? Is that true? Yeah. That's very... Like, it's one of those things that you don't notice because it's such a backdrop for so many episodes mm. and it's such a famous backdrop as well. And then um, until it becomes relevant in the story again, it just disappears. Mm. Yeah. It. One of my favourite things is that you know something is good when it's there, it's forgettable, but when it's gone, then it's memorable. Mm. And I feel that is so perfect with Henry's Tunnel. Mm. It's sure. amazing. I feel another really relatable situation to that is that if you notice in Series 5, um, you don't see Natford Station at all. Yes, it's replaced by um, Craven's Gate, is it? No, I think uh, I've got that wrong. Kirk Ronan. Kirk, oh, yeah. yeah. Close. Very close. Yeah. Um, and I think the next time we see it is Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Um, yes, I which is so. and it has a little bit of a makeover, it has a bit of a facelift. Mm-hmm. But um and but very well, much one so. time facelift and then goes back a little bit and then alters. Yes. Mm. <laughs> but it's interesting that uh you bring that up because I think from there on all the models from series one to four were made using Perspex and Card. Yes. Um and then from series six onwards until um, the show finished, they used brass models for all the main characters. Ooh. Yeah. Very fancy. Now, now, I feel one thing that we are sort of beginning about this episode, we've spoken about the bootlace and the tunnel and so on, but then there's, you know, the story at the start with Edward and James mm. on how this is James's first time pulling coaches and he's got express coaches, green ones, which haven't been seen, well, won't be seen for a while in the future. Mm. Um, and... For some reason, they're on the Fafaqua branch line. They overshoot mm. Dryor Station, mm. Mm. and then they meet Thomas at Ellsbridge, and then there are a few other stations on the mainline loop. Yeah. So it, it there's some kind of prop usage there. Yeah, that's definitely a consequence of the low budget they had for the definitely. first season. Mm. But I do love that detail of... Due to James's vanity and speed, and almost wanting to get away from the fat controller, mm. he overshoots the platform by two coaches. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like that is very true on all railways, even today. Yeah, it still happens. Um, I was on a train the other month, and they went, "Oh, well, we've overshot the platform by three meters. We need to move on to the next station." I'm sorry, oh. what? Yeah. Okay, so so rather than just move backwards and slightly inconvenience people, they, yep. they just inconvenience a whole lot more people and just keep on going. Well, yeah, because the thing is... <laughs> it's I, worse than Soto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it yeah, really yeah. Is. When they overshot it, one of the doors was like sort of at the ramp of the station and not actually at the platform. And if anyone walked out of that, that would be... Bad. Well, 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 I suppose that's fair because that's the disabled entrance for a lot of trains. So exactly. if they if they did overshoot the platform, then yeah, mm. and that's bad. Yeah, bad. And it's interesting. Um, in the second part of the story, um, with the use of the lever boot lace and the newspaper wrapping around the brake pipe to fix it, um, this uh, introduces the concept of the continuous air pressure throughout the train, I think. Yes, um, vacuum braking systems. Yes. Um, I actually had a very detailed look 
into the vacuum brake system as I was asked by a few people as to how do the brakes work and brake vans and mm. should I have a brake van on these trains or not? And long story short, vacuum brake systems, essentially all engines on Sodor seem to have them, which means that the brake van isn't really needed, but the brake van is more there to stop runaways and yeah. just mm. to help stop longer trains. That way it's braking at two points instead of at one and maybe damage the train. But yes. um, the story of uh, the bootlaces uh, is actually from a snippet in the Railway Gazette. Gotcha. And on some of the Reverend's travels, um, he ended up in Belgium, uh, Ghent, in which the James in the top hat was just witnessed by him. So it was not a second-hand encounter. He witnessed a steam train blow a top hat off someone and then wrote a story. And I really like on how some of these stories are based off the Reverend's sort of actual viewpoint in the Railway series. Mm. Adds that extra realism to it instead of just reading it somewhere than basing it off that. Yeah, I think it very much uh, plays with the idea... Uh, with storytelling, you create an idea of what's happening by using the senses. I see, I touch, I feel. Um, and from uh, seeing an encounter like that, he's able to give so much detail about what, like what's going on uh, from his perspective uh, to really help the reader and the audience understand what's going on as well. And, at, of course, at this time during the show, he was a bit of consultant for David and Britt, he would, mm. you know, frequently be asked to come in and ask, would this happen? Um, but actually, interesting fact about the Railway Series book, um, which, of course, um, this episode's based on, and the next few episodes, James the Red Engine, is that it is the Reverend's least favourite book. Really? Mm. Yes, because uh, he had to write it um, to follow a deadline as opposed to a actual experience. Mm. Mm. So I, I feel like that may have something to do with the stories that we're now seeing in TV form, because I definitely feel, whilst these episodes are some of my favourite, they are a little bit sloppy at times, mm. um, and the narration's beautiful, but I feel that by squeezing both of these sort of rushed together stories into one episode, it has sort of detracted from this episode a bit because you've got two unrelated stories just squeezed into one mm. when one could easily have taken up the full five minutes. Mm. I think it's also interesting um, from the current series point of view of um, how often the creative teams go back and reflect on the dialogue and um, the exposition that's happening in these stories. Um, and you'll find it interesting that in more recent seasons, they based a whole episode off the idea of um, if James will paint it blue yes, and what that would look like. Yes, many colours, because the Fat Controller, of course, threatens James with the famous phrase... If you can't behave, I shall have your red coat taken away and have you painted blue. Thank you. Mm. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Perry. You're welcome. Perry. Um, but, and then, of course, 
after he crashes into the shed in fastest red engine on shoulder. Sh- shoulder. Fastest red engine on the shoulder. We're doing the fat controlling person. Yes, thank here. you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, fastest red engine on Sodor. Um, there's, you know, a later sequel um, that, of course, is him worried that he has, you know, broken this trust that was built upon after his horrible accidents in his first few appearances, and he doesn't want to be painted blue. And I feel that is a really brilliant character development. Even if it is far in the future, mm. this is the seed for it. Yeah, mm. and it started here, which is so cool. Yeah. So what do you guys feel the rating for this episode is? Mm. I think taking my nostalgic glasses off... I feel like viewing this another time and really getting an idea of what's happening and seeing the development of where James goes and how he starts off on his own without relying on the presence of other characters like Thomas, I'd probably rate this at about an 8. An 8? Okay. What about you, Parry? I'm leaning towards a seven. I, I a like seven. Yeah, I like how much content they cram into it. There's really no filler or B-roll in here. It's True. just, you know... Uh, the only t- bit of B-roll is actually the flashback to Thomas and the Breakdown. Trip. Yes. Correct, yeah. Very true. Yeah, so that's what I like about it. And, yeah, as I said, I like it how um, the railway inspector is sort of the perfect fodder for James. Yes. Really. So, mm. yeah, no, seven from me. Uh, okay. I was going to say six because the dialogue, in, you know, the dialogue's great, but because they crammed it in mm. so much, I feel that we missed a bit of that extra detail. Um, even in the later episodes, there are like 10 second intervals where there's just nothing happening. Mm. And mm. I feel that maybe that a tiny bit of extra dialogue that was put in here could have been moved over there but because of your mention of the relation of the railway inspector mm. whether or not it's that same actual person <laughs> i'm gonna have to go with the seven as well that's fair okay let's move on to our next episode uh this is the following episode uh troublesome trucks oh 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 said the trucks we want a proper engine not a red monster James took no notice and started as soon as the guard was ready. Come along, come along, he puffed. We won't, we won't, screamed the trucks. But James didn't care, and he pulled the screeching trucks sternly out of the station. The trucks tried hard to make him give up, but he still kept on. Sometimes their brakes would slip on. And sometimes their axles would run hot. And each time the trouble had to be put right. And each time James would start determined not to let them beat him. Give up, give up, you can't pull us, you can't, you can't call the trucks. I can and I will, I can and I will, puffed James. And slowly but surely he pulled them along the line. So troublesome trucks or foolish freight cars for American listeners and viewers um, features James pulling his first uh, 
epic good strain across uh, the Sodor main line. Yes. Um, and I love, I think one of the things I really like about this episode, it's the first episode where all the focus and attention is on James, very much mm. like Thomas and the Trucks, but kind of a little notch up. There's a lot going on, and I think where Thomas and the Trucks, and sometimes Thomas's train as well, kind of... Um, maybe didn't do, do so well is that there was a lot of B-roll footage. Mm. But here there's a lot of unique Original. footage to this yes. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and as I love this episode wholeheartedly, purely because it introduces something um, that really is... Something I feel really special about, the model era at least, and that is the crying it starts yes. with a close-up of James in the shed after he's misbehaved twice now and he's been punished. And there's just a close-up of him, sad, and you just see, you know, two tiny teardrops roll down his face. Mm. And that, that really drives home to me, mm. the realism of this world. It does indeed. Now... I have a confession to make. I'm less fond of it than my co-hosts, Denim and Connor are. Really? Yes, but there's a reason for that. When I was growing up, I had this compilation VHS of ABC for Kids shows. So, you know, it's got on there Postman Pat and Bananas and Pajamas and what have you. All the classics. Yes, and it also has one of two Thomas the Tank Engine episodes, this being one of them. And, uh, yeah, I just... Never got into it as a kid. Yeah, okay. I, I I couldn't really fathom why it was on there because it wasn't one of those really exciting episodes or anything like that. But uh, the the only really uh, action packed thing that happens, if you could even call it that, is that the coupling breaks on one of James's trains and then part of it rolls back down the hill. Mm. And, and then the guard yeah. stops it within mm. seconds. Yeah, that, yeah. that's exactly <laughs> right. And uh, I think. Uh, looking back on it now, that's what makes the episode so special because there are no massive crashes or huge accidents. It's really James... Uh, the, it's character development. It's his yes. redemption. Yes, yeah. it is his redemption story. We don't see him snapping back. We don't see him being reckless. We don't see him causing it. And the accident's not his fault. The, mm. the trucks are just you know being their usual reckless, yeah. troublesome selves. The, 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 the trucks are trying, you know, you, you can't pull us, you can't pull us. They're trying to trigger him, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And James, he's determined to try and prove himself correct. Mm. You know, I can and I will, I can and I will. Mm. And he tries to pull them up and he's failed. And then Edward offers to help out. And and this is where James's vanity comes in. Slightly. Yes. Mm. yes. And, and he goes... Ever so slightly. And, yeah. and he goes, oh, no, thank you. You know, I can do it myself. But Edward goes good engine. Mm. And what I really like about this is there's two sides to the coin here Mm. on how sometimes in an episode James is being vain and it's his vanity that, you know, causes more issue. If he doesn't accept help from someone, well, then stuff goes wrong. However, in this case, Edward's congratulating him for it, for being almost more independent for you know, being determined to do it himself and not giving up so easily. Mm. And I really do like that episode. Uh, well, that this episode, that technique, you know. Mm. It's yeah. so nice, and I can relate to it a lot. Mm. And I think later we find out um, 
the fat controller is on the train, and he's probably no, he was on Edward's train actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. correct. Yeah, um, he uh, was probably, I guess, from a distance observing the way that James would respond to this situation. Yes. whether he'd snap back or he'd snarl or give up and leave and abandon his train but he continues to push on and probably this is one of those things I think one of those uh, unspoken things where it very much uh, supports Edward as the mentor character across Mm. the series he mentors Thomas um, in early episodes and he starts mentoring James Um, he sort of mentors Gordon a bit by helping him out later in the first season Bill and Ben in the second season Yeah. yeah and it's very much Edward kind of saying good you know what you're doing you've seen me do this now you do it mm. yeah and I think that's um, another little bit of de- development from James and Edward's point of view that I really like mm. Mm, for but sure I, I, as you said the fat controller was on the train with Edward now if you actually look at the train that Edward's pulling it's just two trucks and one brake van mm. and Unless the fat controller was trying to go somewhere with Edward, he easily decides to cancel that appointment when James is resting at a station and Edward leaves without the fat controller. And that makes me question, did the fat controller plan for those trucks to break away to see how James would react? How could he plan for the trucks to break away, though? I mean... Just... A little bit of a blowtorch, you know. <laughs> he said, now listen here, Thomas, I want you to get these specific trucks exactly. onto this train. <laughs> we, we've seen Oliver in later seasons shunt trucks in a certain way. Mm. And, you know, the Fat Controller, he does seem to be cunning. And in the very early parts of the Railway series, um, and thus in the TV series, he is a little bit of a greedy businessman. Mm. You know, he says to Henry, if you don't get better soon, well, I'm just going to get rid of you and get a better engine. Mm. And it wouldn't surprise me if he did plan those trucks, but I need to point out how smooth and brilliant the filming of that shot is when the trucks break away. Mm. Yeah, it's done pretty much all in the one take. It is, uh, you see James going up the hill. There's a quick close-up of James. And then you still see everything moving up the hill before there's just the sound of the trucks breaking. And then they just roll down perfectly. Mm. And I really want to know how they did it, whether they were pulling the actual train up with a piece of string that they just let go, or whether they had some kind of magnetic switch mm. or electronics. But it is so perfectly done regardless if it isn't a really intense action sequence uh from a filming point of view that is flawless right there hundred mm, percent mm, and i think uh definitely one thing i really love about this episode is the visuals um and I think one of my, reminiscing on this story, one of my uh, favourite things, like to do with my Lord of the Train set, or I think to do as I grew up, like my favourite arrangement of a consist was having James and just a numerous amount of troublesome trucks yes. and a brake van. And I think that's very much influenced by this episode and later on um, Dirty Objects. Mm. Um, I think 
I definitely have um, a fondness uh, for it. Um, but it's interesting from a production point of view as well, really looking at how they really were intentional about piecing the story together and making it um, exclusive to this episode as well. Mm-hmm. Where you see footage later on um, in Dirty Objects uh, that's reused, uh, but everything else very much is kind of kept within this bubble very tightly. Mm. Um, for me, the ranking of this episode, I would say is a 7.5. Mm. Because... Mm. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of unique footage. It's got brilliant character development of James and Edward. And it's just got flawless production value. Of course, they were working with a budget. Mm. But then looking at the budget that they had and looking at what they were able to pull off, even with the tiny bit of water, even though they would just be dropping some water on it. Mm, yeah. Uh, the amount of takes they must have done to make that look good, though, I... Yeah, it's a 7.5. I admire this episode. Uh, Denim? I'd give this an 8, I think. An 8? Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, this is, as you said, you weren't really a big fan of this. Mm. So you're only real, like, this is probably the first time properly reviewing this for you. Yes. Indeed it is. So, yeah, looking back on it this way. So I think given that it, just exhausted me when I was a child. I'm tempted to give it a six, but having discussed what we've discussed over the past few minutes or so, I'm leaning more towards 6.5, maybe 7. Okay. Yeah, because as you said, there is some great production values in there, and you know, even though it's an uneventful episode, it does help to establish James's character and you know mm. develop him. Mm. So yeah. It's very much the silent treatment almost of things that go on in the background of when the big events don't happen. Mm, very mm. true. We're going to take a break and uh, feature our uh, feature song for the week. Uh, but stick around. Uh, we're going to have a great time discussing our last episode, James and the Express, in just a moment. But for now, you'll be listening to uh, Come for the Ride, a cover by Headmaster Hastings.
Come for the Ride by Headmaster Hastings, originally composed by Michael O'Donnell and Junior Campbell uh, for Thomas the Tank and Friends. Uh, what a bop that was. We're feeling the electric boogaloo vibes in the studio here. Um, but we continue on. We are just talking about how aesthetically pleasing a character like James is. Yes. Um, in the studio here, I have brought along a nice paper face Ertle James mm. with the Delby illustration along with a uh, early 2000s Wooden Railway James with Red Express coach. And I don't know why, but the red is so pleasing for him because we mentioned on how maybe red is the reason why he is so popular. And he's the only red engine in the primary cast as well. Yes. Yeah. Because there are other red engines, of course, in the Scarlelli Railway and what mm. have you. But, yeah, of the mainline engines, James is the only red one. Um, According to several um, other sources, such as People History and Railways and Ring Between the Lines, um, the colour red was supposed to be a reward for James. Mm. Right. Um, so... Uh, passenger trains are blue, uh, goods trains are green, and red was just supposed to be a special thing for James. It's kind of a bit of royalty almost, or majesty. But another uh, theory is red is because he's mixed traffic. Yeah. Edward Mm. is also mixed traffic, and then Thomas pulled trucks and coaches. And I feel that's one thing that is where the world of Sodor sort of pulls away from real life on mm. how whilst these engines normally do have dedicated roles, you know, Gordon pulls the Express and Henry will pull the Kipper, they do have other jobs that their class isn't normally made for. Yeah, mm. yeah, and that's another thing that's often stemmed out of an incident or scenario that will happen in an episode and because of that story that then becomes very much tied to their character. Mm. In fact, um, there's, you know, a big thing of Thomas having his own branch line, especially in the later series, people going, he barely goes on it. (laughs) He pulls the local on the main line now. (laughs) Questioning. But uh, one realistic fact is that the E2 class, that only ran about five or so different passenger services, but they were soon cancelled because they didn't have the coal capacity for long-term runs. Mm. So that's why they were mainly just shunters in yards. And that is one big difference between real life and the railway TV series for me. Thomas is flawed. It's all up to Percy now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because in realistic sense, Thomas would barely be able to go from Farquhar to Owlsbridge mm. um, without needing to stock up on coal and water. Mm. There you mm. go. Anyways, uh, now we are moving to what I feel is a really hidden gem in the TV series. Very much so, yes. Yeah. And it is James and the Express, also known as A Proud Day for James. James had just brought the coaches to the platform when he heard a mournful noise. There was Gordon trying to sidle into the station without being noticed. Hello, Gordon. Is it tomorrow? asked James. Gordon didn't answer. He just let off steam feebly. 
Did you lose your way, Gordon? said James. No, it was lost for me. I was switched off the main line onto the loop. I had to go all round and back again. Perhaps it was instinct, said James. Just for context there, uh, James and Gordon were having a discussion before that, and Gordon said, you know, I can basically find my own way. I don't need the signal signalman or anything yeah, like that. Conveniently forgetting that, you know, the signalman is who decides his way for him. He goes, oh, I never get lost. And this is part of a recurring issue and a discussion we had on our last episode. Where does the human element come in and where does the autonomy of the trains come in? Yeah. And, and clearly it's leaning more towards the human side on this occasion. Mm. It's funny because we don't see initially what happens to Gordon and why he ends up back at Napford. Mm. Um, but that will be a really interesting episode in itself. Mm. For sure. Um. Now, the basic plot of this episode is in the shed one night, Gordon and Henry are making fun of James um, for the bootlace incident, already tying it to his character, making it a staple of him. I'm honestly amazed there wasn't a toy release that had James and a bootlace. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be... Collectible bootlaces. Exactly. Or at least someone can draw up a custom. I know that there's some brilliant people on Twitter recently that have been making their own wooden railway merchandise oh, line. It's so good. Um, but then what happens is that uh, James very gracefully takes care of the coaches. You know, I hope mm. I can pull you. Then Gordon gets lost after pulling the express and all the very, very angry passengers want a refund and the fat controller says, ah, I'll organise another train and another engine will pull it for you. And then James... and everyone feels better immediately. <laughs> yeah, which is a really interesting um, choice because in real life, of course, that would be the signalman's fault. And, of course, it does seem to be, in this case, according to Gordon. We, we don't know if he's lying or not. However, the passengers seem to be blaming Gordon for it, mm. and that's why they seem to be so content when another engine just takes the train. It makes you think that if Gordon knew what was going on, and then he goes, no, nah, I'm ignoring this, I'm just going straight ahead, just seeing what happens, and then he goes, oh, I'm back where I started. Mm. Yes. But, yeah, why, why would he not notice that? <laughs> I wonder. Why did he not say to his driver and fireman, I think we're going the wrong way, people. Well, a- actually, uh, just on a quick side note, I was on a V-line train not too long ago, uh, going back to my hometown of Bendigo, which for our international listeners, it's a city about 90 miles north of Melbourne and it's a two-hour train ride to get there. And we got to what's called Sunshine Station and that's where it deviates off to Ballarat. Mm. And on this particular occasion, the driver caught on pretty quickly and he said, hold on, the signal's telling us to go to Ballarat. We're not, we're, we don't want to go to Ballarat. <laughs> right. And so they were able to back up the train, wait for the signals to change and then head on to Bendigo. But on another occasion with a brand new driver, they didn't realise they'd taken the wrong line. So it was about right. two or three stops until the passengers realised, hold on, this is the wrong way. This isn't the way to Bendigo. So, yeah, <laughs> oh, they, they, wow. Yeah, so it was another hour to make their way back into Sunshine Station where the junction is and then head back to Bendigo. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, this thing does happen. It, it, and it is true that, you know, event happening. Um, but one question is, James is quite small compared to Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, un- unless you trust some weird pictures that have come out recently with him being taller than him and much 
wider. He's very much a I'm red. I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah, images have recently come out of profile, like, front images of them, side by side, comparing heights. Mm. And James is, like, a giant among them all. <laughs> they may as well be Arlsdale engines. <laughs> I don't believe it. Um, it's not canon. <laughs> but yeah, but, but the question is, would he be strong enough to pull the Express? Well, we saw in a previous episode that, and in the previous stories that Thomas the Tank Engine was able to pull Gordon's express train. Uh, wasn't it Henry's? Oh, Henry, sorry. Yeah. Big pardon. It was Henry's train. But mm. then in Edward, Henry and Gordon, mm. we see that both Henry and Wood, Edward are needed to pull Gordon's express. Oh, that's a fair point. Yes. So, but, so I think... James is certainly capable of pulling mm. coaches, but obviously he doesn't have Gordon's speed and strength. Speed to do it. Unless he's painted blue, then he starts flying all <laughs> over the place in a dream yeah. sequence. Yeah, and I think that's probably why in the travelling sequence from Natford to Marin, uh, he's probably going a lot more slower than what yeah. Gordon would do at his regular speed on his regular um, trip. What One of the narrations was, you know, uh, stations, you know, flew by in a blur, and you wonder shot, how fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in a shot, you just see James sort of trundling by a station, <laughs> not r- stopping, and of course that takes into budget again. They can't mm. really, you know, alter the speed of the trains without mm. damaging them. Mm-hmm, um, true. However, from a personal standpoint, what I would do is I would actually raise one end of the set a little bit so you've got gravity assisting the speed of the train. Oh, and they've yes. done similar things before because Gordon's Hill isn't actually a big vertical hill. The bottom of the hill is, of course, the part that's mm. slightly lifted. Mm-hmm. So when they come down the flat part, they then go up the... down... That they go up the grade, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. They go up a grade, which is perfectly flat, and it makes sense because it's a large set, yeah. And they don't want them to struggle too much on it, mm. so it wouldn't be unheard of. I just wonder why they didn't try and make him go faster. It also makes you think. Uh, one of the things that came to mind for me is like how much of the story that's happening here is being told from James's point of view, because ah. this is the first time he's pulling the express. He's probably having the time of his life and feels like everything is just such a rush of adrenaline. And he's going, yep, this is great. I'm totally in the shoes of the guy who was making fun of me last night. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, Connor alluded to the fact that this is a hidden gem uh, just before. And I said to Denon and Connor off-air that I didn't discover this episode until I bought the entire first season on DVD. And I saw the episode... James and the coaches for the first time. And, yeah, I was absolutely fascinated by it. Mm. it. It was, you know, something I'd never seen before and it was something I really enjoyed. And um, as Denham mentioned beforehand on how so much does happen around this episode, mm. you know, you've got the Thomas saga after this with Bertie and Terence and mm. everything, and then you've got the accidents, the bootlaces, this sort of story about a train has been diverted that you don't actually see get diverted and another engine takes it, Mm. this is very much a narrative-driven episode, Mm. which is Mm. why I feel that it gets lost even more so than Troublesome Trucks, Mm. which hasn't got 
you know, much action at all, but it still has got more than this episode. Yeah, that's a fair point. There is some interesting character development in this story particularly. Uh, One thing that I think is interesting is that in the beginning of the episode, it's alluded that Thomas is on his branch line Mm. and thus there isn't a shunter at the station. And James is filling that position at the start, arranging Gordon's train and pushing trucks around Knapford. And then as uh, James starts taking the mantle of the express a little more, we then see Gordon in that position of moving trucks around Knapford. And that's such a polar opposite from Thomas being the person doing that, the the engine, sorry, doing that in uh, episode one, arranging all the trucks and uh, coaches for other big engines. Um, and then Gordon doing that in this episode, it really quietly sets up um, the story arc that's to follow in um, Tenders and Turntables. Yes. Where Gordon uh, gives this a go. He goes, oh, I like some quiet work for a change. But then he realises the more he does it, the more grinding it becomes on top of his express duties. Yeah. Then we go back to Off the Rails, another Gordon episode where he goes back to hating trucks again. Yeah. He, he goes, I don't mind shunting trucks. And then, no, I hate trucks. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, it goes back and forth. But at the end of this episode, Gordon and James have almost become at least allies in the sense. Almost yeah. friends, really. I mean, yeah. we see They're them in equals. later episodes yeah. and later seasons that they get along really well together. Like, they very similar characters. They're the characters that you find, particularly in the later seasons, that they would happily uh, gossip together about yes. what's going on uh, mm. around them. And I really enjoy that um, character play between these two uh, engines. And I think uh, this is something... It feels very Railway Series-esque as well, whenever um, something happens that's uh, quite big on the railway and Gordon goes, oh, here we go again. And he <laughs> looks at James and he just has to roll his eyes. And that says it all about and where their status is. What I feel has got to do with that is that um, they're very similar in character. Because, yeah. you know, Gordon is boastful, you know, he mm. is vain. I get to pull the express. Mm. They're both uh, very narcissistic engines. <laughs> definitely. Um, an interesting fact about this episode, though, is that Christopher Knowlton, uh, one of the producers that helped make the episode, uh, he revealed that some of the passengers in this episode were made out of plasticine. You know, I can actually see that. We've got a yeah. still up on the screen here, and, yeah, it very much looks like they're almost rubbery figures. Yeah. So that, again, is, of course, the budget coming into play. But Mm. you really can't see it in this episode. Some of those things just come with charm as well. Yes, for sure. You've got to look at that and just admire the the thinking outside of the box for some of the things that they had to do as well. Mm. It's almost like they're using bootlaces to make these episodes and it's working (laughs) great. In more ways than one. Um, But... I, as I say, this is a hidden gem of an episode. If you're a fan of action, this episode isn't for you. No. But character development and narration, especially with the line of, you know, is it tomorrow, Gordon? (laughs) Maybe it was your instinct. No, it was lost for me. I'm ranking this really high. I've It's got to be a 7.5 or an 8 for me. Well, I'm going with 8, actually, Connor. Yeah. It, it's an 8 for me. So, Denim, what's your score? I think it's an 8 for me as well. I think each episode that we talked about today has been an 8. I think um, James is definitely one of my favourite characters. Um, there's a Bias. lot to love about him. Oh, yeah. 
but there is um, a lot to love about what's going on here as well, I think. Um, and it definitely interplays later on um, in very subtle ways, but in very big ways as well that reflect uh, the current story arc in the show as well. Mm. Well, yes. Well, anyways, thank you so much for listening to the Riot on Track podcast, episode three. Uh, we'll be returning later with, of course, the Thomas Saga. Uh, what episodes are those, Barry? So, those are Thomas and the Guard, Thomas Goes Fishing, Thomas Terrence and the Snow, and Thomas and Bertie, all four stories from Tank Engine Thomas again. There's some uh, really exciting episodes coming up. I think it's the stories that, uh, when you think about Thomas and Tank Engine, you go... Oh yeah, Thomas and Bertie's great race mm. when Thomas uh, gets trapped in the snow for yeah, the first yeah, the, time. The quintessential stories, and we also get to see a lot of the footage which has made its way into the intro of the show, at least yes. in earlier seasons. Yes, and I'm really excited to uh, really get an understanding of uh, where Thomas is at from uh, where we last saw him, so that's yes. something that I'm looking forward to. But, meanwhile, I've been Cotter. I've been Parry. I've been Denim. And this has been the Right on Track Podcast. See Have you a next great time. Night. Yeah. Mm-hmm.